Amen. All right, let's uh, receive our scripture reading for today. So let's get up from our seats uh, in reverence of God's word. Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 1 and John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This is Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And this is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now I will invite Pastor John to deliver God's, God's message to us today. God is good. One more time. God is good. And all the time, God is good. Amen. God's word truly, truly is so, so good. I'm so excited that our all-stars and Joshua generation brothers and sisters and friends are here to sit at the feet of the word of God preached. There is no other word like the word that we can find in God's word. All other words, the words of this world, the words of our friends, our schools, politicians, etc., will always change. But the word of God, the life-giving power of God will never change. But here's the promise. The life-giving word of God will always change each and every one of us here today into what? To the perfect image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so with that, can we turn to our neighbors and say, God loves you and so do I. We are starting a new series that's going to take us from September to December. And this series is going to be called God's Big Story. And the reason why I'm excited to talk about God's big story is because you and I are made to live in and live out God's big story. And here's the big takeaway. The story that you are in inevitably will be the story that you live out. Let me put it another way. If your story is God's story, then you, your life, you will live life knowing that God the Father is your heavenly Father who demonstrates his steadfast, continual love and protection and guidance over your life as his child. Knowing God, the Son, as your Lord and Savior, not just Savior. We all love that part where Jesus saves us from our sins. But we also have to understand that you and I were bought with a price, not with silver or with gold, but with his very blood. And because Jesus is perfect in all of his ways, who else should we surrender our crowns to except for the King of kings and the Lord of lords? If your story is God's story, then you will live life knowing that God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you. Not with you, not over you, but in you. 
to make you more than conquerors through him who saved you, that you are always, by the power of the Holy Spirit, being led heart, soul, mind, and strength towards Christ Jesus. If your story is God's story, then you live under his life-giving promises and wise, unfathomably wise instructions of the Lord towards his covenant people. You are not alone. You didn't just make up your story. Your story isn't weak or feeble or shallow. It is written by the author and perfecter of our salvation, of our faith. And when we discover God's big story, friends, brothers, sisters, I hope that you will see that all of our other stories, the story of popularity, the story of academic success, the story of worldly significance, the story of having your fantasies met, maybe it might be, I wish I had better parents, I wish I had more money, I wish I had this and that, will pale in comparison to the story God is inviting us to live in and live out. May all of our smaller stories not exist apart from God's big story. Rather, may it all be organized and understood under his big story. So what is God's big story? Well, God's big story can be summarized under four headings. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. If you know these headings and you know what these headings are all about, then you know what this life-giving word that will never change but will continue to change you generations after you and beyond Can we get slide two? By understanding God's big story, we will discover answers to questions like, who am I? How did I get here? How am I supposed to live? What is wrong with the world? What is wrong with me? What is temptation? What is sin? What is the consequences of sin? Is there any hope of deliverance from the consequences of sin? What is life about? What is death? What lies on the other side of death? is God? What is good and evil? Who or what is the devil? What is the devil's most dangerous lie? Who is Jesus and what is he all about? You can get all of these things under the big story of God. And as you can see, these four headings are huge. Hence, we're going to dedicate one heading per month. So for the month of September, we're going to start at the very beginning. We're going to talk about creation. And here's the main point for this month. Without God, without God, there is no ultimate meaning to our lives. Without God, there is no ultimate meaning to our lives. Please don't get me wrong. I did not say that there isn't relative meaning to life. There is relative meaning. It's meaningful to you at this point in time. I didn't say that there's no relative meaning. I said there's no ultimate meaning to our lives without God. Let me give you an example. How many of you guys are athletes? Anybody? Athletes? So we have several athletes. Let's say, athletes, you practice throwing a baseball as fast and as accurate as possible. Over the years that passes by, you improve little by little, but to the point where you are now the best pitcher in the world. 
Relatively speaking, that is super meaningful. But here's the thing. There have been great athletes throughout the history of human history. Think about the gladiators of old from 104 BC to AD 404. You could imagine that some of these gladiators were what we call the goats, right? The greatest of all times of their era, much like Michael Jordan, Serena Williams, Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, and Muhammad Ali. They were all goats in their era. And yet, if I were to ask you, how many of us know the names of these great warrior gladiators? I would probably say we don't know a single one. If we can get slide three, this is an amazing quote by a man named David Eagleman, a neuroscientist from Stanford University, who says this, there are three deaths that all of us will experience. Three deaths. The first is when the body ceases to function. The second is when the body is consigned to the grave. And this is deep. The third is that moment sometime in the future when your name is spoken for the last time. Just imagine you're young, you're healthy, but in the future there will come a time where you will die a third time when your name will be mentioned for the very last time. And there goes your relative meaning and significance in this life. I want you to think about this. How many of us are struggling and fighting to live for relative meaning and significance. Anxiety is on the rise. Depression is on the rise. Self-harm, other forms of harm. There's violence at school, in the world. There's a war going on. How many countless youth groups, students, have passed through those doors of all-stars in Joshua generation, living, stressing, and struggling for relative meaning and significance? I would not be surprised if all of us here today are stressed, are struggling to live for relative meaning and significance. And have you ever asked yourself this one basic question? What is all of this for? If your big story is your physical beauty, do you not understand that you have a shelf life, an expiration date? If it's just physical beauty, one day that will fade That is the end of your relative meaning, your relative significance. What about your friends? Well, let me tell you, your friends today mean so much, and that's true. But in college, your friends will change. After college, your friends will change. When you get married, your friends will change. And the nature of your friendships will change. Everything changes. There is, in a sense, where I understand that we are very obsessed living life in this way. There is work constantly in front of us and we're busier than ever before so we find it very difficult to think about these higher level concepts and I understand the temptation. There is constant work in front of us and we tell ourselves something like this, I'll make time for God when I'm finished with my work. Pastor John, could you pray for me that I'll be uh, able to do all of my work so that I can focus upon God And I would say then that God is truly not the God of the Bible that you worship. 
If we knew that God gives us not relative but eternal meaning and significance through his big story, we would submit all of our responsibilities, our desires, and our difficulties at the feet of Jesus. We would ask Jesus, Lord, you wrote the greatest story this world has ever known, and therefore I lay down the story of my life at your feet. Write upon it as you will. Take control. I trust you, Jesus. And in our passage today, in both of these passages, we see God inviting each and every one of you to receive, be transformed by, and become instruments of his big story that gives us significance, eternal significance that lasts and lasts forever. So let's dive right into God's word. Can we have slide one? Genesis 1, 1 to 2. Let me read verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is an entire cosmos in this one verse. There is no greater story that begins with such a climactic point. It does not try to prove anything about God. It just simply declares God. And that life doesn't make sense without God. And so we see it says in the beginning. This is the exact point when time itself began. To be wrong at this point, brothers and sisters, would be to build one's life upon sand. But to be right at this point, would be to build one's life upon a sure foundation. This is the beginning of God's self-revelation. In other words, if God did not reveal himself to us, there is no way that we would come up with such a God as the God of the Bible. He needed to show us who he is. And this begins the record of the universe and God's big story of redemption. And after Genesis 1, 1 to 2, everything that we read in the Bible and everything that we know about life is intricately connected to this moment when time began. In the beginning. You see, if this is when time began, we ask ourselves this one question, what existed before time itself And the next word in our passage says it all. It says, in the beginning, God. Since God is outside of time, God is eternal. He is not bound like you and I. He never ages. He just simply is. And we learn something else about God. In Hebrew, the word for God found in this passage is the word Elohim. El means God, the mighty one. Ohim makes El plural. So when you put these two together, you literally get the word gods. But it's not to say that there are more than one God. The Hebrew language calls this the majestic plural. You know, sometimes you hear the royals, the queens, and the kings, they'll say, we have declared, but what they really mean is, I declare. This is a majestic plural. And let me tell you what a majestic plural does It intensifies our understanding of who God is. And I'll tell you why that's so important. Since El means God or the mighty one and the majestic plural is present, it means God, not the mighty one. It means God, the almighty one. Let me tell you why this is so important, brothers and sisters. Pay attention right here because this is what's going to change your life. 
depending upon how you see God, determines how you see yourself and your destiny. If God is just this weak, pathetic being, then you will never go to him. But you will go to something else. You will go to the promises of the world. You will go to the wisdom of the world. You might even just simply look within yourself, follow the mantra of this world. The heart wants what it wants. Do what makes you most happy. But we see in the scriptures and all over human history where people have done what made them happy at the cost of their own happiness, at the cost of the happiness of others. This is what it means, brothers and sisters. God is Elohim, who is the source and giver and taker of power. There is no power source besides God. What I'm saying is that our power to study, apply for colleges, and to serve one another is borrowed or lended power. Our power does not come from us. It comes from God who enables you to do the smallest to the greatest of tasks. One of my professors at seminary uh, went through a very life uh, changing uh, tragedy uh, in his life. He went to Korea and he went there for missions. And my uh, pastor uh, also went with him. Uh, they, uh, you know, he, was a men- he was mentored by my professor. And so I guess you can say we had the same professor. Anyways, they went, went to Korea and uh, Dr. Parrott and my pastor were on a bus in Korea. And uh, they were on missions, as I've just shared. And as the bus was driving forward, they went on a bridge. And on that particular day, it was very, very foggy and you couldn't see what was in front of you. The bus driver did not see the car in front of it, hit the car, and fell over the bridge. My pastor died, and Dr. Parrott um, lost all of his memory, his function. He was knocked out. When he woke up, he was screaming and crying because he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what was happening. And this was a professor of one of the highest calibers, did everything right in his life, was a pastor, was a professor, brilliant, smart, loved by the teachers, loved by the students, loved by everybody. And yet, when I look at his life, I realize this incredible reality that there is only one who is almighty. You see, when all of our power is stripped away, I've learned that because God is good, that when all of our power is stripped away, we are never stripped away from the Almighty One, Elohim. One of the things that Dr. Parrott uh, remembered uh, when he was coming to, he forgot everything, but one of the things that he would remember, because he memorized all of the hymns, he would be able to somehow remember the hymns and be strengthened in his poor memory, in his inability to function and move, can't be a professor anymore because he can't stand. But he remembered Elohim, that when all of our power is stripped away, that we will never be stripped away from the Almighty One. How you see God, friends, is how you see yourself in the world. You will seldom go to a God in full faith, trust, and obedience if God is not the one who says, who is all that he says he is. 
you will continue to go to yourself or to the world in full faith, trust, and obedience. But as I think about Professor Parrott, I realize that life, and listen carefully, life does not acknowledge you as the ultimate source of power. Life can be brutal, life can be dangerous, life can be ugly, but life does acknowledge the one whom is almighty, Elohim. If we can get slide four. Revelations 4, 11 says this, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I'm going to say this again in other times throughout the sermon, but look at your life, friends. You are not an accident. You are not a lump of cells. You are not just here because there was a big crash in the universe and all of a sudden this all started out. No, there was an information from an information giver. This was all part of God's design and your life is not an accident. You are here today with God-given abilities and strengths and gift sets because Elohim has declared it such. Who is this Elohim? Text one, we're still in uh, verse one here. If we can get slide one again. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We learned in what God has created that nothing is too difficult for God. We see that in the next words, right? God created the heavens and the earth. And this phrase, the heavens and the earth, means this. It includes everything in heaven and on earth and in between the earth and the heavens. It's like saying coast to coast. It's not just uh, Virginia and California, but it's every state in between. God created everything. The heavens include all that is above the earth, such as the sky, the sun, the moon, and the planets, the stars, the solar systems, and the cosmos. The heavens also include the throne room of God Heaven, and yes, God created the earth and all that is in the earth. And how does God do these things? If we can get slide five, God spoke it into being. Psalm 33, six, and verses eight to nine, it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Let all the earth fear the Lord, meaning show respect and honor, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Friends, you know what our biggest problem is in life? It's not your academics. It's not about how hard life is. The biggest problem in our life is not we're, we're not seeing God accurately. I mean, let me take you an example of how Jesus teaches us how to pray. We did the Lord's Prayer, right? Can we get the Lord's Prayer up? The Lord's Prayer, how does it begin? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus teaches us to pray, no matter what you're going through, whether you have cancer, whether you are sick, whether you have finals tomorrow, no matter how depressed you are, Jesus teaches us we need an accurate view of God. Because if our view of God is small, then we will never go to him. Genesis reminds us and teaches us that our God is bigger than big. God is bigger than our problems. God is bigger than life itself. 
Now, I have heard students ask this, well, Pastor John, who created God? I mean, if everything has a creator, then what created the creator? And the answer is no one, for God cannot be created. This is how awesome he is. God is not a creation, part of creation. No, he's completely other. He is the creator. In philosophy, we call this the cosmological argument that says God is the first cause. Let me explain. In order for time, space, and matter, as well as energy to be created, something or someone must be outside of time, space, and matter, and energy. And in order for time, space, and matter to be created, a beginningless, uncaused, timeless, spaceless, immaterial, enormously powerful, personal creator of the universe must exist. In other words, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. We cannot comprehend the power, the genius, the wisdom, and the creativity by which God created time, space, matter, and energy. Every single molecule and atom placed in accordance to God's will and God's design and sustained by him. To describe God's power in another way, everything that you and I have ever created, think about it, everything that you and I have ever created already existed. The raw material was already there, but not so with God. God did not have anything but himself, and he created all things out of nothing. There is, in other words, nothing in creation where God does not say, it's mine. He looks at the elements of creation and he says, mine. He looks at the birds of the heaven and he says, mine. God says to the fish of the sea, mine. He looks at the hills, the mountains, and the valleys and he says, mine. He says to the sun, moon, and stars, mine. And he looks at the beasts of the field and he says, mine. And God says to all of you, your life and all, the hair on your head, the struggles that you have, your destiny and your story, all of it is mine. And thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, our life is not in our small hands. But let us rejoice. I want to hear voices today when we sing a response song. As we sing to the one who deserves all praise. Thanks be to God. We can look forward to tomorrow, Monday, because you know what God says on Monday? He says, it's mine. You are not an accident. You are not the source of power. Life does not depend on you. You do not depend on you, but the one that you depend upon says to you, mine. There is a reason why we know all that we know about who God is, is because he reveals himself to us. And why does he do that? He wants a relationship with all of us here. And I would say this, for those of us who don't believe in Jesus, who don't believe in God, I will say this. Honestly, it takes more faith to be an atheist, to be a non-believer than to be a believer. Because here's the thing, let me ask you a question, scientists. If matter cannot be created nor destroyed, it's an immortal thing, where does it come from? If anything of existence had a start, what created it? The existence existence of something requires a cause. What is the cause? Is Is it protons and neutrons? Is it quarks? Is it particles? Well, where did all of these come from? Anyhow, in order to for these things to become something, it requires what? information. Particles alone do not have information. Information comes from the one who gives information. In other words, without God, there is no answer to any of these questions. But for the Christian, 
Genesis 1-1 is not only sensical, it is the only answer that is rational and logical. Creation requires an almighty creator that is outside of time, space, matter, and energy. And when we observe the universe, when we observe the solar system and the cosmos, we see that our almighty God created everything in perfect order. That the earth is slanted just right. That the earth is at the perfect distance away from the sun. That if we were too close to the sun, we would burn up. If we were too far away from the sun, we would freeze and life would not exist. Genesis 1 in the next verse, verse 2, if we can have slide 1 again, gives us a picture of what the earth looked like when life could not flourish apart from God's life-giving power. The earth was without form and void And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There are several things to note about this planet. The very first one is this. The Bible tells us that it was formless. In other words, it was without shape. Uh, Other parts of the Old Testament uses the word formless or without form. It is described uh, as a place that is a wasteland, a desolate place, an empty place, confused place. There is no order. It's just utter chaos. And at this point, the earth is just raw material. The earth needed to be formed in accordance to the blueprint of God. But it's also described as a void. It's desolate. It's empty. It's uninhabited. And it's also uninhabitable. And also, this world was dark. This is all important. I'm gonna, there's a point to this. This relates to you. I promise. It was dark. The earth is a dark abyss without light. There, it, it's incapable of hosting life. God will not create life, just letting you know, until verse 3. And he won't create the possibility of life, uh, until uh, uh, the possibility of an earth that can sustain life until verses 9 to 10. It is absolutely dark. Without God's activity, uh, lifeless, just death. But also we learn that it is drowned. It is drowned uh, with water. The entire planet is submerged under water. And here is the conclusion. The earth was a blank canvas for our master to create his masterpiece. And you know that because at the end of verse 2, it says the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit is there. And we see the plurality of God. There's one God in three persons. God the Father is the architect of creation. We'll see in a little bit that Jesus is the builder of creation. And the Holy Spirit is the life giver of creation. But the Holy Spirit is here. He is ready to move in for action. It says that he is hovering over the waters of the face of the deep. This word hovering, think about an eagle hovering over her nest, ready to give birth to her eaglets. The Holy Spirit is ready to birth life. And so I'm about to end the sermon here. We got to learn several things from this because no sermon is complete until it points us to the one that gives us true life, and that is Jesus. If we can have slide six. The very first thing that we learn is that the builder of creation was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John 1, 1 to 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Wait a minute, this is more than just about creation here. This is about a new creation found in Jesus. And we're going to continue on. Uh, we need to elevate our thoughts of Christ. We, he is no mere human only. He is 100% God and 100% man. And what I'm trying to do right now is to elevate your senses for the one that you worship, that he is no mere just man like you and like me, but he is God Almighty who came down to earth to be with us despite all the flaws, despite all the sins, despite all the things that displease him. Because of love, he came down for you and for me. And here's a second thing that we learned. The first thing is that the builder of creation is Jesus. But number two, Genesis 1, 1 to 2, is a good picture of your life. That without God, we were all in darkness, without form, without void. That we were born into spiritual darkness, ignorant of God, void of God, born desolate, without spiritual life in all of us. I remember when I was in college, the day where the Holy Spirit was hovering over my life, ready to give birth, a recreation of my heart, pointing me to Jesus I remember being so tired of living for myself and for the pleasures of this world, living a life that is reminiscent of the prodigal son. But the Holy Spirit was hovering over my life. Let there be light. Let there be life. And for some of you here today, that's you right now where the Holy Spirit is over your life saying, let there be life. The darkness of our lives is not the end of our story. As the Holy Spirit continues to birth in us a new life, and that points us to number three. This is why you and I must become a new creation. As I've shared, Genesis 1 is a microcosm of your new birth. God did not leave you formless but hovered over you, over your soul, to give you new birth. God, the Holy Spirit, came to you, convicted you of your need for Christ, called you, drew you, made you into a new creation. But the beauty of creation, the pinnacle of creation is not Genesis 1, 1 to 2. Guess what? The pinnacle of creation is every time, every time, someone who did not know Christ becomes a child of God where once a soul was dead, but now alive in Jesus. And so brothers and sisters and friends, praise team, you can come up now. I invite you now, as I lead you in a time of prayer, would you bow your heads with me in prayer? The first thing that I want us to do was, is to ask you a question. Do you know this God? Do you know this amazing and awesome and awestruck, wonderful, almighty God? Well, he is here for you right now. Would you go to him in prayer? Perhaps some of us needs to repent, which is not the worst idea. If you don't know if you need to repent or not, that's not the worst idea to repent, to say, God, I, did, I thought you were so much smaller. I thought you were so much weaker. I thought you were so much less than what I've 
just discovered in your word today. Father, elevate my view of you so that I don't have to live life thinking that I'm an accident, a a lump of cells, purposeless, just wandering into uh, space, wandering into the abyss. Restore unto me the vision, the beauty, and the glory of our God. So let's take this time to pray. Heavenly Father, our vision. Father, Lord, we pray. Take this invitation as we come. Restore your word so that we might be able to hear. Restore our Strengthen us, our intellect, our mind. Savior Jesus. The second prayer topic is this. If you are not a believer of Jesus Christ, um, thank you so much for being here. I hope one thing that you get from this sermon is how much God has thought of you and your life. How much God cares for you and knows you by name and offers you this salvation by inviting you to be part of his big story of redemption all you have to do is place your faith in Jesus and you become right here right now a new creation for those of us who are already in Christ I'm sure that you have people in your life that may not be a Christian maybe the Holy Spirit is using you to pray over them right now and so at this time Let us pray for ourselves, whether to take this invitation of the gospel or to pray for others who need the invitation of the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, in just uh, two verses of Genesis 1, 1 to 2, we see an entire universe, a cosmos. We see, Lord, all of life flowing emanating from our creator. Please forgive us of our sins as we live life apart from you, thinking that we are the creator of our destiny over our lives. May we see the beauty and the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we would be absolutely convinced of your sovereignty over our lives, that we would submit all areas of our lives to your creativity. Strengthen us, Lord, we pray, for those who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, that the content of the gospel, that you have come into this dark world to become light for us by dying upon the cross and being raised again on the third day, defeating death itself that this gospel will be the greatest news that they have ever heard and have ever accepted. We thank you so much for this time. Please be with all stars and Joshua generation. May we be at the feet of the throne of grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us all rise together to sing out loud to our glorious heavenly Father, the glorious Son in the power of the Holy Spirit.